Hi friends, my name is Lauren and I am an alcoholic. Uh, my home group is the Blackslim Primary Purpose Group and we're located in Sydney, Australia. Um, thank you to the committee for the privilege and honour to be of service today for the first workshop of the Fellowship of the Spirit Easter lockdown. Um, so the first workshop will be for the three legacies. And uh, before we begin, I ask that we observe a moment's silence to reflect upon our primary purpose and the still sick and suffering alcoholic and their family members both inside and outside of the rooms. Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So this will be a one hour workshop, uh, followed immediately by some uh, question and answers, answer session in the breakout room. I will, it is my privilege to introduce uh, our first speaker, that is Carrie B from Bend, um, Oregon. And I'll just unmute you, Carrie. There you are. Hi, I'm Carrie and I'm a recovered alcoholic as well. Thank you for having me. Um, this is amazing. I appreciate everything that everybody's doing. Um, so this is going to be a little bit different from what you guys have um, heard the uh, previous speakers do, because I'm actually, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm uh, going to read my presentation today. And I haven't ever done that um, behind the podium unless I was like I had to at, at Prasa a couple years ago. Um, but, you know, because I'm not telling my story today, um, and this is a really important topic, um, I just didn't want to leave anything out or let anybody down. Um, and, and this is important to me. So um, I, I thank you for asking me to be here. And without further ado, um, I said my name is Carrie. I am an alcoholic. I always have been and I always will be. My home group is the New Horizons Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Bend, Oregon. We meet six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Monday through Friday, we are uh, um, study a piece of literature, of AA literature, and Saturdays is our speaker meeting. Um, it's a speaker discussion meeting. If you're ever in Central Oregon, I hope that you will give me a call and come visit our group. My sobriety date is March 25th, 2010. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor and I sponsor women who sponsor women. All of these things are how I stay smack dab in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is where my higher power has made it very clear that I need to be. Um, I, have an, I have always been a contrarian. Um, I'm a nonconformist by nature. I don't want to follow your rules. I don't want to take direction. And I want to make sure that you know that you can't make me. Um, this has been the story of my life. And when I got to you guys, that didn't change right away. The more people in the fellowship tried to talk to me about the traditions, our second legacy, um, the more I resisted them. The more vocal I became that the only one we need is tradition three, which guaranteed I don't have to follow your traditions and you can't kick me out no matter what, which is true. <laughs> um, I unapologetically disrespected all of the other traditions every chance I got, because why? <laughs> because I could. Um, and again, you couldn't kick me out. You see, even though I was no longer drinking, I suffered from the still defiant alcoholic ego. 
I don't know if anybody can relate to that. Um, one of the many ways I found I could get under your guys' skin or get you guys to get riled up was to use your own literature against you. Um, anything, anything not to have to look at myself. One of your traditions seemed to be exclusionary, um, that, that you only wanted to help alcoholics and no one else. So when I first found the responsibility statement, I loved bringing my non-alcoholic friends in, throwing the responsibility statement in your face. I also didn't like prayer. One of the things that I spent some real energy on was going around to each group in my local area, <laughs> attending the business meetings and politicking to get the to get the closing prayer removed and replaced with the responsibility statement. This was 10 years ago before the responsibility statement was a, you know, thing was cool. Um, I actually printed out uh, boards myself and had the responsibility statement made into posters because it was before GSO sold those um, for all of my local meeting rooms. <laughs> um, I could go on. In fact, I could go on the rest. Uh, I could go on down the entire list of all 12 traditions telling you horror stories of how I broke every single one of them. And we would be here for days. I wouldn't run out. Um, I'll get to the point. When I finally got in enough pain from untreated alcoholism, I found myself at the jumping off place in sobriety. I ended up surrendering and allowed my sponsor to take me through the big book with complete abandon. I ended up having a profound spiritual awakening as the result of our 12 steps. And for the first time in my life, I could see past myself. Some of my selfishness and self-centeredness had started to disappear. I had a whole new outlook and attitude upon life and upon Alcoholics Anonymous. And like any newly recovered alcoholic who had just had their first spiritual awakening, I was on fire. I got into service right away. I started sponsoring. I got on committees. I had 100 service positions. I started carrying the message wherever and whenever I could. Um, and all without any guardrails. That's right, because I had been so resistant to the 12 traditions that I had no clue what I was doing. I thought I was doing God's work. And now, at this point, at least the intent was good, but I made plenty of messes in our third legacy of service without having that second legacy in place. Um, that's kind of what my talk's about today, that the three legacies are in order for a reason, just as the 12 steps are, that without a working knowledge of the 12 traditions, getting into service could create a lot more work for actual three legacy servants. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people had to go behind me and clean up um, my monumental trail of mass destruction and tradition violations as I went out into the world carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> the difference between my tradition violations before I had gone through the 12 steps and after is now that when it was pointed out to me that I was doing something that went against the traditions or, or could harm AA, I had regret and remorse. I genuinely wanted to do better. The point is, before I went through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is our first legacy, I couldn't have cared less about our second legacy. And before I had somewhat of an understanding of our traditions, I couldn't, have, I couldn't be of real use in our third legacy, no matter how much I desired to, no matter how good my intent was, those traditions are guardrails. They're street signs. 
They're lines in the middle of the road that tell me where my lane is and where the oncoming traffic lane is, which roads are one-way streets and which are dead ends. I'll go back to the responsibility statement for a moment. At one point, I did really believe that it was saying that we are supposed to be all things to all people, that we're supposed to help anyone who walks in the door with any problem they may have, financial, medical, legal, I was gonna help. <laughs> I was the taxi, I was just on fire for service. Um, I had no idea it was a third legacy piece, a service piece that speaks to our great responsibility monetarily as well as physically at our world services. I had been taking it out of context. In fact, I don't believe I'm alone on this. I think it's a piece, I think this um, responsibility statement is misunderstood throughout much of the fellowship. Although it is extremely important that when a new person walks in the door of our home group, we're there for them. In fact, I think the greeter is probably one of the most important positions in all of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, that's not what the responsibility statement speaks to. That's not why it was written. We, we were introduced to the responsibility statement in 1965 at the General Service Conference. The theme that year was our great responsibility. The author was referring to the fellowship's financial responsibility originally. However, it was also 1965. By the time we alcoholics finally took responsibility for our third legacy. I just wanted to, I'll send you what we have. Um, the service structure. So it was on that day in 1965 at the conference that our fellowship went from having 14 non-alcoholics. Those are our class A trustees and only seven alcoholics which are our class B trustees um, to flipping that around and becoming responsible and taking responsibility for ourselves as alcoholics. And, and it was on that day um, that we, we became responsible. And now we have 14 trustees that are alcoholic um, class B and only seven that are non-alcoholic. I know that that's much more boring than what everyone thinks the responsibility speaks, the statement speaks to. Um, but it's the case. And, uh, and that day we alcoholics, um, became responsible for our own, uh, society and the future of our service structure. So what exactly does this service speak, uh, piece speak to just that it's a simply a reminder that we all take part in the weaving of the protective mantle, which covers AA as a whole by helping to ensure the future of AA for the alcoholic, not yet born by Supporting the GSO and by learning as much as we can about our traditions, concepts, and history, educating myself about these things, I help to ensure the future in the ages ahead. AA is still here for my great-grandkids if I do this. This ensures that AA is here for even the isolated and the incarcerated, the loners. In the conference report from that year, 1965, you can read about this responsibility. Here's a quote from the 1965 conference report. About 599 loan members were registered at GSO as of spring 1965. 332 of these, outside, of these members were outside of the United States and Canada. These are men and women who for various reasons, mainly because of geographical location, are not in a position to attend meetings. Our fin financial contributions 
are the reason we are able to make sure these alcoholics get help as well. I want PO Box 459 always to be there. Um, I want Alcoholics Anonymous always to be there. Although reaching out to the alcoholic who walks in the door today is crucial, this declaration speaks to the preservation of the fellowship for anyone with accessibility issues, the hearing impaired, the blind, the isolated, the incarcerated, and for future generations. And for that, I am responsible. I need to make sure that I'm contributing my seventh tradition dollars in a responsible way. Am I throwing a couple bucks in every basket at every meeting I attend, even if they don't have a GSR and um, they spend all their money on expensive coffee creamers, barbecues, cake, and anniversary celebrations? Or am I supporting my home group first, where my responsibility lies? Um, and, where, and where I'm a part of the financial decision-making process. And I can be assured that my money is supporting our primary purpose at all levels of the service structure. Does my home group have a GSR, an active GSR, not someone who was voted in while they were in the bathroom? Um, but a qualified, passionate member of Alcoholics Anonymous who will do the job. If not, why? Are we maybe not talking about this important stuff in my home group? Have we lost sight of our primary purpose? Do I need to find a more active group? Or do I need to step up and be the one to set this example? This is what I'm responsible for. You can read more about the responsibility statement and the true meaning of it. Um, in the 1965 conference report from the year it was adopted or from page 332 in the book, As Bill Sees It. Um, it is the essay titled, <laughs> I Am Responsible. <laughs> um, today, I'm a little bit uncomfortable closing a meeting with it personally, only because it may, um, many people may not understand what it truly means and why it was written and what it speaks to. I love closing service meetings with it, however. My home group, business meetings, uh, committee meetings, district meetings, and area assemblies. Um, when the declaration is read in meetings, it could imply to the newcomer or to those who don't know any better that Alcoholics Anonymous should be all things to all people. And of course, that's simply not the case. We do one thing and one thing supremely well. We help drunks to get sober. We're not doctors. We're not the judicial system. We're not the alcohol education field. We're not the clergy. We're not other 12-step fellowships. I love how much humility is in our literature. I love AA literature. <laughs> I will now read something from the last page of one of my very favorite pieces of AA literature, um, the 12 Traditions Illustrated. And you guys should know what that looks like. If you don't, of course, I'm not going to have... Oh, here's, here's one. Um, 12 Traditions Illustrated, or as my first sponsor liked to call it, 12 Traditions for Dummies or for Blondes, whatever whatever works, because it's it's got a bunch of cartoons in it, and it's helpful. Um, so here's, here's the statement. Anonymity, as we observe it in AA, is at root a simple expression of humility. When we use the 12 steps to recover from alcoholism, we are each trying to achieve real humility. When we use the 12 traditions to work together in AA, we are all trying to achieve humility as individual members by recognizing our true place in AA and as a fellowship 
by recognizing AA's true place in the world. Powerful stuff. Again, the treatment industry, it's there for a reason. We don't get involved there. Men of medicine, they're there for a reason. They have degrees. We're just drunks. We encourage outside help if needed, but we don't offer it. The judicial system, it's there for a reason. We don't get involved there. We don't tell people that they have to go to AA or how many meetings they have to attend. The clergy, it's there for a reason, and they do a good job. AA doesn't do that. Um, other 12-step fellowships, they exist for a reason. We don't pretend we know anything about drug addiction or eating disorders or gambling problems. Um, page 18 of the AA group pamphlet states, and this is another beautiful piece of humility um, written in our literature, quote, it is misleading to hint or even to give the impression that AA solves other problems or knows what to do about drug addiction. So much humility in our literature, so much clarity, so much simplicity. Bill Wilson said, sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and the practice of the 12 steps is our sole purpose of an AA group. To represent the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, we have the serenity prayer. In steps one through three, I had to learn how to accept the things that I couldn't change. In steps four through nine, I was granted the courage to change the things I could. And through practicing steps 10, 11, and 12, the maintenance and growth steps, I'm slowly gaining the wisdom to know the difference. Our second legacy, our 12 traditions, well, it has a declaration of unity and it is to um, our first legacy, what the or our second legacy, what the serenity prayer is to our first legacy of recovery. And the declaration of unity reads, we, <clears throat> this we owe to AA's future, to place our common welfare first, to keep our fellowship united, for on AA unity depends our lives and the lives of all to come. And then, of course, we have our third legacy of world services. I am responsible. When anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. But I can't be responsible no matter how hard I try, no matter how passionate I am, and no matter how good my intentions are, without taking the time to learn about all three legacies and our history. A mentor of mine once said, how are we gonna know where we're going if we don't know where we've already been? The best piece of literature I can offer anyone wanting to learn about our three legacies is the book, AA Comes of Age. After I had begun learning about the traditions and I had a newfound appreciation for them, I was sitting in a meeting one day at my home group and an old timer was chairing the meeting. I'll never forget this. Um, he said something that spoke to my still defiant alcoholic ego. He said, for anyone who thinks they've been through the traditions but haven't read AA Comes of Age, that's just like saying you've been through the 12 steps but haven't read the big book. <gasps> Needless to say, I went out and I bought AA Comes of Age that day. I started an AA Comes of Age book study at my house every Tuesday with my sponsorship line until we got through the entire book. I found this book. I found in this book a beautiful story of how all three legacies were born. Aside from the big book, this is my favorite book in the whole world. It's a love story for me, a story of passion, 
a story of deep love and unique understanding, a story of miracles and of seconds and inches. And I dare anyone to read this book and finish it with anything but the utmost respect for all three legacies of this beautiful gift that we've been given, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. I truly appreciate being asked to present on this today. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carrie. That was wonderful. Virtual clap for you. Um, I just wanted to remind everyone that um, we will have time for questions, but first of all, um, we're going to move on to our second speaker, which is um, Billy N uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm just going to unmute you, Billy. Go ahead, Billy, welcome. Hi, I'm Billy, I'm an alcoholic. You can hear me, thank you, got it. Uh, my sobriety dates January the 5th of 1990. My home group is the Alpharetta Unity Group. I want to thank the committee for asking me to come here tonight and speak on the subject of what I believe is three legacies, not third legacy. So um, it's a strange time for the world, a strange time for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, I think I want to start off reading. I'm a big, big student of Bill W. I think he was amazingly tolerant and patient and visionary. Um, sometimes I think us in AA, I always like to say we have one book, our edition of the big book here, that there's an asterisk in it, and it lets everyone know that we have over 2 million members in the United States and Canada. And then we have another book called The 12 and 12. And there's a line in that book that says that pretty much uh, our biggest problem is defective relations with other human beings. And um, that means we have 2 million people who don't get along with people. That is uh, quite a uh, organization to keep on track. And these three legacies, um, I know how I view them. I view them that the steps are our message. The traditions protect our message and the concepts perpetuate our message. It's very simple for me to think of them that way. Um, but I sometimes we're our own worst enemy and maybe out of all of this, a lot of AA unity will come about. I love this letter that Bill Wilson wrote. He might as well have written this letter to me like three months after I went to my first Joe and Charlie big book workshop when I became on fire and was telling everyone else they did it wrong. Uh, but he wrote to this guy on June 23rd of 1964. He might as well have been saying, dear Billy, but the guy's name was Bob. And he says, dear Bob, our way, both as members and groups of practicing the steps appears to vary from time to time. Many of us lack thoroughness, which most evidently you do not. I'm very glad that you have had such good results with the approach you made. I only have one suggestion. This would be to a try to avoid trying to force anyone into your particular approach. Your example of good results is apt to be much more effective with others than your insistence that they conform to your particular interpretations. 
most alcoholics seem to be all or nothing people. We go to extremes. Either we want perfection by next Thursday or else we want only the barest bit of AA that will keep us sober. Experience seems to show that we can go broke on spiritual pride or on unreasonable rebellion or just plain apathy. A plain everyday desire to make some progress is usually the best and safest bet. However, don't take what I say as gospel. You and everybody have the right to practice AA as you wish. This is spiritual freedom. May God bless you, ever Bill. Bill was such a genius. Um, really, really, as we talk about the three legacies, the first thing I want to say is there's a special memorial issue of two grapevines that you can get your hands on. It comes in a white-like package. It's the edition of the month Bill died, January of 71, and the month that Bob died. You can buy both those grapevines. And inside the January of 1971 grapevine, the one about Bill W., he goes through the three legacies. That's actually a separate piece of literature you can buy from our AA office, the three legacies. Um, but, you know, what really gets me going probably is... I wish people could be a little bit less extremist, myself included. Um, today, in today's world, AA groups are not able to meet in a lot of places. Um, but doesn't that go to what Don P used to always talk about? The difference between a group and a meeting you know, meetings, loosely gathered meetings that are not connected to the service structure or the office or whatever, they have no connection with the people outside of that meeting. I kind of, you know, it's hard for me to think about those people now because a home group, an AA group, really the least important hour of the week or two hours of the week is when they meet. When they meet, we hope they have a quality AA meeting. But what makes them a group is what happens when they're not meeting. Is what are they doing between, you know, I'll give an example. In, in America at one time, I don't want to get into debate about prayer during this. I don't have enough time. Um, but just for uh, example, uh, a lot of meetings used to start with the serenity prayer and end with the Lord's prayer. That's just how it was. And Don P used to always say, you can judge a meeting by what happens between the serenity prayer and the Lord's prayer. But you can judge a group by what happens between the Lord's prayer and the next time the serenity prayer is read to open the meeting. Because what is the group doing between meeting times? Are they connected to AA as a whole? Are they connected to public information work? Are they bringing meetings into detoxes or correctional facilities? Do they gather together and celebrate each other's anniversaries and get together with their families? That's what makes an AA group. And in today's world, AA has become so big that we have meetings that have no real attachment as an AA group. Um, but you know, our triangle is equilateral for a reason. And there's some great writing that Bill has written about our great triangle, about service, unity, and recovery. And, 
you know, it's equal for a reason. Nobody gets to say one is more important than the other. I'm sure there's some members of Al-Anon on here. In fact, one of my heroes, Larsine, is speaking later on, I think. But, you know, sometimes I think, I'm going to guess a lot of people on here have seen one of the AA-related movies. The My Name is Bill W., Bill W., Lois Remembers. And in all of them, there's a scene that everybody remembers that I think is so important about our three legacies. Remember that Bill got sober the last time in December of 1934. And in the spring of 1935, before he went to Akron, um, Bill was not happy. And he, there's a scene in all these movies of Bill and Lois in the kitchen in Brooklyn. And I love Al-Anon. My mother was a member. I always tell the joke that some people say there's nothing worse than a belly full of booze and a head full of AA. That's not my story. My story is nothing is worse than a belly full of booze and your mom's head full of Al-Anon. That's my story. And, but the Al-Anon version of that movie that everybody remembers is Lois asked Bill what's bothering him and what's bothering him is he hasn't been successful in his, there wasn't even a 12 step yet, but he was doing 12 step work and it wasn't, he wasn't successful. And everyone remembers what Lois said, which was, but Bill, you're still sober. That's all that matters. And a lot of people will take that to the line in the big book that says, when everything else fails, strenuous work with another alcoholic works. But imagine if Bill never got anybody sober. There would be no AA today. So the legacies depend on each other. We, we need to make sure that, that equilateral triangle. I think sometimes the difficulty is not everyone is a great speaker. Not everyone is a great meeting chairperson. Not everyone's a great treasurer. Not everyone's a great GSR. Not everyone's a great trustee. Um, but we need to celebrate and embrace and love all sides of that triangle that we need all of it. Even if you're in a home group, you know, I tell people all the time, they say, well, what can I do? I don't really like district meetings. I don't like service meetings. People are surprised, but my answer is don't go to them. I mean, if you don't like it, don't go. But what you can do is make sure that your group has someone that is going so that your group is connected to the center of Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of the problem I see in today's, especially service world, is what I would call legacy skipping. And this happens because in a lot of places, a lot of newer people tend to be GSRs. And a lot of people go through the big book and stop there. You know, Don P used to talk about the big book renaissance and revolution that happened, um, you know, with a lot of people, you know, and if you look at Joe and Charlie's history, but one of the things Don used to talk about was 
if we don't get these people through the traditions after they go through the big book, we will just have a lot of one legacy members who don't understand the other 24 spiritual principles. And I'm not even a person who says everyone should know what the concepts are. The concepts Bill put together and were published in 1961 are a way for AA World Services to carry out their business. Now, some people will say, well, you can apply them to your life. Of course, you can apply any principle to your life. But from an AA point of view, what I've seen happen is a lot of people, even people who've been through the big book, go into service. And in service, we tend to only talk about the concepts. And so my experience has been is you can't really embrace and understand the 12 concepts of Alcoholics Anonymous without beforehand having been through the traditions with someone who's been through the traditions. Because weaving throughout the concepts is a lot of language that says, refers to principles that we already have. And Bill was talking about the traditions and the steps. We could split hairs about whether the 12 concepts are 12 individual principles or whether they're an expansion of our steps and traditions in a way to carry out AA's business. Um, but I am the last person to tell anyone they have to be involved in third legacy service. Um, there's an old speaker, I hope maybe I'll give a shout out, you'll go look his tapes up online. Cliff R. from Oceanside, California, one of my favorite speakers. He has passed away, unfortunately. But he used to always talk about the gifts. Some people can answer a phone at a, in a group office and talk an alcoholic off a ledge like nobody's business. Some people can drive people to and from a meeting and in that 15 minutes work miracles. Some people can take someone through the big book in their backyard in a spectacular way. Some people can serve as directors or trustees and have vision for AA going forward. Um, Cliff used to always say that there's no sin in Alcoholics Anonymous except not finding out what your gift is. And once you find out what your gift is, bringing that, the best of your gift, every day to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I uh, am very curious about what's going to happen with AA going forward. Because as I look at the literature around the world, the service literature, why are we so behind the times? There's no service literature where WebEx or Zoom is mentioned. We talk about old web-based online meetings. Um, but I think we're going to find such, now I'm not against, you know, listen, I want to go to a meeting like anybody else. Um, I want to have contact with other alcoholics, but just think of all the unknown possibilities. I don't know about in the countries of the people who are outside the United States, but in our country, prisons go on what we call lockdown. And when a lockdown happens, no volunteers or visitors are allowed in. And a lockdown can be for one hour one day, one month, one year, if there is a security disruption to that facility, nobody's allowed in. And just think, 
of all those facilities that have security issues, if we can meet with those wardens and we can get Zoom or WebEx or any other platform up on a large screen TV on the wall, and a couple of AA members from outside can bring an AA meeting to those men and women who are incarcerated, just think about homebound, the elderly and senior living facilities and nursing homes and uh, people who have recently had surgery and people who are sick. I'm not saying we want to go to an all online prof profile, but what I am saying is next year at this time, I hope there's a way that no matter where anybody lives, they can find out when the local district hosted online meeting is so that if you're sick or you broke your leg or anything else, there are so many purposes we can harness. I think though, then our legacies come into play. I mean, think about sponsorship. Some of the earliest embracers of FaceTime are long distance sponsors in Alcoholics Anonymous because there's something extra about being able to see the person you're talking to. I even myself have been very vocal saying, I'm glad for all these conventions, but I hope sponsorship families are getting together. I hope that it's not all big rah-rah AA conventions going on. I hope that there are people who are taking 10 people through the big book. What a better time to dive into AA literature than right now with what's going on in the world. What a better time to maybe go through the traditions. But I see so many purposes of, of what we can do with this technology um, if we use it the right way. Now, if we use it the right way means embracing all three legacies. I believe, I'm a person who believes and I've thought about technology for years because I was an area delegate when I was 32 years old. The average age of a delegate in America is 57 in the U.S. and Canada. When I went to my first general service conference in 1999, there was no, there was no row at the back for people who had laptops for electricity. In fact, I was not allowed to open my laptop at the general service conference. Today, that would be laughable. Um, but I think about that and all the possibilities of what we can do with this technology, because I'm a person who believes that we can embrace technology and we can also embrace our traditions. I wanna read something that Bill W also wrote um, because I think he was a genius. Nothing matters more to AA's future welfare than the manner in which we use the colossus of modern communication. Used unselfishly and well, it can produce results surpassing our present imagination. Should we handle this great instrument badly, we shall be shattered by the ego manifestations of our own people. Against this peril, AA members' anonymity before the general public is our shield and our buckler. I've heard so many kind of crazy things about AA and online platform during this time in regards to our three legacies, our concepts, our traditions, and our steps. Um, I think of something that Tom I, again, I'll throw another speaker plug out. Tom is ill and been in a, uh, uh, a facility for a long time, 
but he's one of my heroes. Um, but Tom, you know, was an inmate that became a warden. And uh, some would consider him the father. I would consider him the father of corrections work in the U.S. He would never consider himself that. Um, but I remember a discussion he had with a warden. And this warden wanted the traditions bended or a couple of them left out so that more people could be included inside the facility when they had meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've always remembered Tom's answer because he said, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about inmates or homeless or a banker who came out of his big office on Park Avenue into a church, into a meeting. Everybody deserves to, re to, to get Alcoholics Anonymous. Not half of it, not AA Light, not 10 tradition Alcoholics Anonymous. Everyone deserves to get all of Alcoholics Anonymous. And yet I see people, I, I see now people have gone, I even had to tell someone about myself, like we would never during, before this pandemic, send out flyers for our convention with pictures of the speakers because we honor the 12th tradition and the humility talked about there. But yet I see secret Facebook groups and they're posting now pictures that look like Vegas marquees. I didn't even know until somebody, a couple of people sent them to me and I was like, wow. We have some people who are saying, well, throw all the rules out. We'll just help everybody. No, no, we should conduct our meetings by all 36 principles. We can have an open meeting by Zoom. We can have a closed meeting by Zoom. Um, we should be able to make announcements just like we do in regular meetings. We, I would hope that the online chair people in Zoom or WebEx have uh, meeting information for other 12-step fellowships. For I'm a big believer of not kicking people out of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm also a believer in getting them the help they need. Um, you know, our three legacies is the greatest gift that our founders left with us. I want to tell a quick story. Um, and I want to give a shout out to my friend, Noel Noli from Ireland. Uh, Noli is somewhere in the Middle East right now in a NATO peacekeeping force. Noli's a great member of Alcoholics Anonymous from Ireland. And, uh, you know, sometimes people talk about the third legacy and they're like, oh, that's politics and that's just AA politics and I don't like that. And you don't have to like it. But what separates us from everybody else is we don't take anyone else's money. We make sure that we take care of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that money is supposed to be used not to write more guidelines and more handbooks. That's supposed to be miracle money. That's supposed to be life-saving money. That money is supposed to be used to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. The alcoholic we're not reaching yet. And I love telling the story of Jay. Um, because in the early 80s, Jay wrote the general service office. And Jay was a young Marine. And, and Jay was sent to a place called Lebanon, to Beirut. And um, Jay had no AA literature with him. 
and Jay wrote the general service office through the military mail and the woman at the general service office sent Jay a big book and a letter and Jay wrote back like a month later and um, said he was so grateful but would she please send more literature and the lady at GSO wrote back and sent him another letter and more literature and the next time Jay wrote back, he used Bill Wills's words. He said, I have good news to report. Like the words out of the big book, good news. He said, I've started a group here called the Peacekeepers Group. And it's made up of people in the service that I'm with and some locals. And we gather in between the shelling and the bombing and the shooting whenever we can. And we have a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. But he said, I really need more literature now. Can, I, can you send me a lot of literature? And so they went back and forth for a while and they didn't hear for Jay for a couple of months. And then they got a letter in the military mail again to GSO. And it was from another member of the peacekeepers group who said they had the heartbreaking job to let the woman at GSO know that the young Marine they had been writing to had been killed in the barracks blast of late October where 270 plus Marines were killed. But she wanted the woman at GSO to know the group was still going, that it was still meeting. And my friend Noli, who's in the Middle East right now, the last time he was in the Middle East, he called me one day when I was washing my motorcycle. He said, Billy, last week we had some time off and I went to Jay's meeting. And I told everybody there how proud I was to be at Jay's meeting. This thing that we have here is so special. It started on a wing and a prayer. I'm not even a person who believes that. I used to be a person who believed that when the people in Akron said, welcome home, that they were the birthplace in Alcoholics Anonymous. Since I'm a New Yorker, I would be the first person to say, no, no, New York is the birthplace of Alcoholics Anonymous. A New Yorker went to Akron, and that's how it all started. But I really believe the birthplace of Alcoholics Anonymous is a place called Worcester, Massachusetts. And I believe that because in 1909, a college called Clark University was having a celebration of 20 years being a university. And they invited famous people, academics from all around the world. And one of the people they invited was Sigmund Freud, the most famous psychiatrist at the time. And Sigmund Freud brought with him one of his young interns and protégés. That would be Dr. Carl Jung. He carried Sigmund Freud's briefcases to that trip to Massachusetts. And while Sigmund Freud was making some very important talks that are well documented today, Carl Jung was standing outside and he by chance ran into a man named William James, the great American psychologist who wrote the varieties of religious experience. And up until that point, Carl Jung was a diehard Freudian believer. And William James spent time talking to him, telling him that over the history of time, there had been certain people that had complete psychic spiritual upheavals that completely changed their way of life. 
but that the problem was they was as rare as getting struck by lightning. When you think about that, that Carl Jung then breaks away from Freud and later meets Roland Hazard, who later meets Ebby Thatcher, who later meets Bill Wilson, who later meets Dr. Bob. It's amazing the miracle that Alcoholics Anonymous is. And the last thing I want to say, if you're like me, and sometimes you think AA gets in the way of your life too much, and you don't get to golf enough or ride your motorcycle enough or go to rock concerts enough or whatever you like to do. And if you're like me and your brain tells you that uh, what's getting in the way of me enjoying my life, my brain always comes up with the same answer, Alcoholics Anonymous. I need to cut back. I need to believe that hype about balance. And I just want to close with this. Let's not forget that in 1998, the editors of Time Magazine got together and they gathered together a committee of the smartest historians and history professors from around the world, not AA archivists, not uh, AA historians, just the smartest people in the world when it came to history. And they said in 2000, we're going to publish a new book. And we're going to call that book The 80 Days That Changed the World. So we need you to start on January the 1st, the 1900, and end today. That's a lot of 365 days times 98. And they said, we need you to identify the 80 most important days of the 20th century. And if you get on eBay or Amazon tonight and you order that book, The 80 Days That Changed the World, you will go about 20 pages in and you will fall on Mother's Day, 1935, where it says, on this day, a broken stockbroker from New York met a broken surgeon from Akron. And from that meeting led the birth of Alcoholics Anonymous that has not only saved millions of lives, but has shared their solution with other people and other fellowships that have other problems. And that's really the question I need to ask myself. Do I treat Alcoholics Anonymous like it's one of the 80 most important days of the 20th century? Because if you go a couple, of day, a couple of pages before or after AA in that book, you'll see what it's compared to. The wall coming down in Germany, Somebody landing on the moon, Martin Luther King's I Had a Dream speech, Jackie Robinson being the first black baseball player in Major League Baseball, women getting the right to vote. That's what it's being compared to. And the real question about our three legacies is, are we treating them equally and are we holding them with the care that Alcoholics Anonymous is a God-given miracle? Thank you very much. Thanks for asking me to speak.